Oh, yeah. Come on. It's one of the great TV themes of all time. I, I love that show. I love the God. show. I love the TV theme. That's Mike posted his Yes. Uh, that was his first big one, right? That was the one that knocked it out of the park. Yeah, because that was the 70s. That's right. That was before Hill Street Blues. That was his first big one. And, of course, it was, uh, it was you know, a, a, um, a Glenn Larson show, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he he killed it, man. He just went he went on to do a whole lot of other uh, Glenn Larson. I had, a, I, had a, I had a Mike Post album. There was a Mike Post yeah. compilation album. I had yeah. that album. Wow. Yeah. So the Rockford Files, Rockfish, uh, is is uh, on Blu-ray. Kind of an amazing thing. So Universal uh, licensed this to Mill Creek, and Mill Creek said, "Hell yeah!" And Mill Creek has has done uh, an outstanding job. They have uh, they've given us what I think a lot of people never imagined would ever happen. I've I've watched Rockford Files a lot recently on Netflix, you know, because it's up there. Right. But uh, seriously, James Garner never been better. He, you know, already a TV icon because he'd been on uh, Maverick. And uh, it doesn't often happen. We talked about this with Shatner a few few weeks ago. It doesn't often happen that somebody who is an iconic figure on television in one part gets another chomp at the apple. And and then outdoes the previous one. I mean, certainly Shatner got to be Danny Crane and he got to be T.J. Hooker, but he never exceeded uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, for for James Garner, he was maverick for a lot of people, and he exceeded that and became Jim Rockford. Now that is that's sort of an amazing thing, and uh, we we shouldn't sell that short. The Rockford Files is a great show. Yep. Um, you know, if you've never seen it, you got to see it. Get it on Blu-ray. Just get the whole thing, all six seasons, and just go to town. Here, let me let me just say this about the Rockford Files. So, first of all, it's a gorgeous Blu-ray transfer. It's really good. And by the way, for a show like that to be on Blu-ray, that's usually shows like that. Anybody else would be DVD. Yeah, for so sure. That's very impressive. So uh, you can go ahead and you can get rid of all those old DVDs of the Rockford Files that you have. Get this sucker on Blu-ray. This is fantastic. So, 122 episodes, six seasons. Great show. Uh, here's the deal. He's an ex-con, and he never carries a gun, and he's a private eye. And that's what makes Jim Rockford so interesting. He lives in a trailer. Uh, in a trailer par- in Malibu. In Malibu, in Paradise Cove. And he drives a Trans Am. Come on, man. Everything about this is just 70s glory. And he, and he always, and every episode, he'd get his ass kicked. Every episode. You know, and it was every the episode. first show that I had seen. Yeah. Where the guy would get his ass kicked. Because the rest of them, they were like these invincible super policemen who would just solve every crime, but not Jim Rockford. And if it weren't for the Rockford files, there would be no Magnum PI. Because, well, again, they, well, that's okay. Mike Post did the, the theme to Magnum PI as well. It was a Glenn Larson show, right? It was all the same stuff. But it's, but it's kind of the same show in a lot of regards, right? I mean, Tom Selleck, he's living, he's living on an estate. Kind of, you know, he's living the life. He's, a, he's not a former, he's not an ex con, he's a former Vietnam vet. Right, he or, or, or is a Vietnam vet. He um, he drives a hot car. Uh, he's constantly like getting beat down before he sort of figures the thing out. I mean, the whole template of the Rockford Files really does transfer to Magnum PI, another show which I utterly love and which exceeded the Rockford Files in popularity. Now, here's the cool thing: you know where where Tom Selleck got his big his big kind of PI television profile break? Gay sex. It was on Rockford Files. Really? Yeah. It's on the Rockford Files. I he's, did not know that. He's, another, he's, he's the guy who drives Jim Rockford crazy because he's just too honorable. You know, he says, uh, he, he, when he's going to punch somebody, he says, come on, put him up. And Jim Rockford's yeah. like, put him up? You don't, who, who says that? You, you, you got to sucker punch a guy. But he doesn't. He's just too honorable. Tom uh, Selleck's appearance on the Rockford Files is outrageously awesome. Uh, and uh, let's talk about the pilot. Pilot of the Rockford Files? You know who the, who the star of the pilot was? Um, don't know. Well, there are two people in the pilot. 
but most significantly, you know who hires Jim Rockford in the pilot? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, Marlon Brando. Lindsay Wagner, wow. pre-bionic woman. Yes! Gosh, I love the 70s. <laughs> and, uh, and also, Billy Mummy shows up. Wait, wait, okay, wait, hang on a second. Here, here's, here's, here's Tom Selleck on Rockford Files. Yeah, oh, uh, you found it. See, now I got you going. Rockford's back and TV2's got him. Thursday night. Rockford's back and TV2's go. got him. You better believe it. I produced awesome. Tom Selleck on a show once. I think I've said really? that before. Yeah, uh, he I was just, very cool. I love Tom. He was Selleck. very. He's he's guys like he's he's like the ultimate man. He is. I love he Tom is Selleck. very very handsome, very cool. And uh, as long as we're on the subject of TV, we also got to talk about the uh, Carol Burnett show 50th anniversary. Can't believe it's been 50 years. Uh, the best of Harvey Corman. This is from, from uh, the good people at Time Life who have released all the previous uh, Carol Burnett show stuff. And uh, the best of Harvey Corman is great. I, you know, you, you, you don't get this because you're being a completist. You get this just because you say, you know what, I just want to watch Harvey Corman completely lose it and make everyone else lose it. I want to see him just wreck everything that he is in and somehow make it funnier than it otherwise would have been. Take a sketch. You just completely lose it, you start cracking up, is, fall out of character, and everybody else loses it, and that's just a whole lot of fun. You know, you know my problem Watch is, professionals be unprofessional. What's your problem? My problem is that that's all anybody remembers from the show. You realize that they did, like, sketch comedy every week, right? Uh -huh. And it was really, really funny. If, if you – yes, it definitely was icing on the cake that yeah. they would all crack up. Yeah. But it was still a funny show. Well, it was usually because Tim Conway you – know you know the story behind this, right? The story behind all the shtick on the show. Tim Con they, they would do rehearsal, as, as you always do on, on, on these shows. And very often, you know, they rehearse this all week, first of all. They, do, they, they rehearse the daylights out of it all week. And Tim Conway would never actually do it the same way for air or for taping as he did it during rehearsal. And very often, you know, you, t you t typically tape two shows, for people who don't know this. So you will, you know, you have two studio audiences and you do two shows, and then the eventual air show is, is usually cut together from the best bits of the two. So Saturday Night Live usually works that way too, I believe, right? Don't they? I mean, Absolutely. it's live. It's a live show, well, it's but there's a, a, well, well, the, 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 a non-live. There's the dress. There's the dress, Where right. they do more material than they need, and then they right. cut based on the results of the dress. Right. So it's a, that's kind of a variation on the theme. So, so yeah. So very, very often Tim Conway would do stuff, you know, one way all week, and then they would come in to dress, and he would sometimes just pull, pull one out of the hat and do something that nobody saw coming, that never made it into rehearsal. And that just hit everybody. It blindsided them, and people would crack up. They'd lose it because they weren't ready for it. And sometimes he would pull an even faster one on them, and he'd do exactly in dress what he did all week long, and they'd think, oh, we're safe. And then, you know, your, your final show comes, and then he whips it out and, and just throws everybody off. And so that's why people very often cracked up because he, he would, Tim Conway would do things nobody saw coming. And, they, and, and eventually it got to a point where they just, they, they, they just threw caution to the wind and just said, I have no idea what he's going to do on the show. Tim Conway, Tim Conway Jr. was a... Um, uh, Tim Conway Jr. Was, is a radio personality. Oh, is he? And he used to be on L.A. He, on, in L.A. He may still be, I don't know, but he was very funny, Tim yeah. Conway Jr. And he, sounded, he sounds just like his dad. Yeah? Yes. Well, good. Good for him. And by the way, Tim Conway's still around. Yep. 83 Amazing. years old. Love it. So anyway, lots of, uh, lots of great stuff on here. Uh, Harvey Corman, the best. And 
Um, then I'm also going to make uh, mention of a very strange Lifetime original movie, Britney Ever After. Uh, I, I didn't know that Britney Spears had uh, lived long enough to warrant a biography, but apparently she has. So uh, Lifetime decided to uh, do this, and uh, it's exactly what you would imagine, which is uh, it, 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 it's not so great. Uh, Natasha Bassett plays Britney Spears, and Nathan Keyes plays Justin Timberlake, and Clayton Chitty, boy, there's an unfortunate name, plays Kevin Federline. And I, you know, this all feels like it happened yesterday, and now we have three actors I've never heard of playing people that uh, I, I just saw in the news. And it's uh, it's all very melodramatic and not that interesting. But uh, there it is. It's a Britney Ever After, a Lifetime original movie event. Yay. Okay, Dorf on Golf. Oh, man, they should put Dorf on Netflix. That would be great. Uh, you know what? That wasn't funny. Okay. That was like Catskills funny. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> kind of funny, but kind of like really stupid. Uh, the Untouchables. That was a big show. Late uh, late fifties, early sixties. And let me tell you something, folks. It all started with the Untouchables, the Scarface Mob. That was the uh, the TV show. The uh, sorry, the film, the TV movie that uh, launched the film. It's uh, you know Walter Winchell narrates it, right? It's got Neville Brand playing Scarface. So. And of course, Elliot, uh, Robert Stack is Elliot Ness. So, if you're uh, not a Scarf, uh, not an Untouchables TV fan, because a lot of seasons of that show to get through, and you just want to see what all the hubbub was about, you may want to check out the Untouchables: The Scarface Mob. It's definitely a uh, cool piece of uh, TV history. There you go, the Untouchables: Scarface Mob. Also, we have um, NCIS New Orleans third season. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, NCIS New Orleans third season. Who cares? The only thing, the only reason why. I care about this show is because it proves that Scott Bakula is, I think he's immortal. Yeah, he, he is. He, he doesn't age. He that works guy has not all aged the time, in 40 years. Works all the time, doesn't age, still looks the same. He's done 75,000 shows. That's ridiculous. I just don't get it. But I um, yeah, so I don't know what to say about this stupid show. I've never seen it. Just telling you it's out there. A bunch of special features. Um, if you buy this, then. I don't know what to say about you. <laughs> so, uh, Blind Spots, complete second season. Uh, Blind Spot. It was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon the first season. Then yeah. something happened the second season. People cared a lot less. Well, they've they've added a whole bunch of people to it in the in the second season and tried to really really mix things up. Uh, you know, it's uh, I mean, this is a this is a, a a a spy espionage kind of co one of those covert uh, secret agent type shows, but with a lot of grit. Uh, you know, because she's uh, she's just racked up with tattoos and she's got a history and she's not the kind of person you'd expect to, you know, whatever. So um, I'll say this. I really, really do think that um, Jamie Alexander is a terrific actress. And she plays Jane Doe here, who is, you know, the central figure, the dangerous woman with all the tats who, you know, eventually becomes triple agent. Uh, and, you know, all the, the shen FBI shenanigans and all this complicated stuff that uh, convolutes this this second season. Um, it, it, if you didn't see the first season, this is going to confuse the daylights out of you. And if you don't watch every single episode of this 22-episode uh, season, you, you, you won't be able to follow anything. It is all, everything is contingent on the thing that came before it, which is why, for example, if I could draw an analogy, that's why they very smartly, on the Flash, uh, sometimes have introductions where you will he where you will hear him say, 
you know, I, I, my parents were killed, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this made me do this, and then I altered the timeline, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this happened, and that's how we got to where we are today. Because truly, if you haven't watched The Flash in about six or seven months, and you just pick up an episode somewhere, you're going to have no idea what's going on. It's just, you're going to be saying, like, why, who's that person, and why is he talking like that, and where did this come from? It, it gets so convoluted that sometimes you do need those little pick-me-up guideline deals, and this show's a little bit like that. So, uh, anyway, Blind Spot, complete second season on Blu-ray. A lot of uh, interesting stuff, featurettes on here. Uh, Comic-Con panel from 2016, uh, pretty great. So, uh, some un- and there's even uh, unaired scenes, too. So, if you're a fan of this show, check it out. It, 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 we'll see where this goes. Uh, I think the second season is still good. I think it just kind of lost some of the first season luster, but it's a good show. It should stay on. It's the same as, uh, yeah, right, this one and The Blacklist. Yeah. Phenomenon, and then yeah. it sort of died. Yeah, I think this has, this has more juice to it than The Blacklist. It's not as much of a tease, uh, but anyway. And then we got some Brit TV, uh, Murdoch Mysteries Season 10 from Acorn. Uh, really super cool. This is um, uh, originally actually broadcast on Ovation as The Artful Detective, which I found to be interesting. I didn't, I've never watched Ovation uh, or whatever. But anyway, this is, uh, of course, the Canadian series, and uh, this, is, uh, all, this is all Edwardian-era Toronto now. So it's a little twist on the, uh, on the show, and uh, it's worth checking out. 18 episodes, five discs. Uh, always, always recommend uh, Murdoch Mysteries. And then uh, Michael Palin, Remember Me, uh, is really amazing. I This is from PBS. And, uh, you know, Michael Palin is not somebody that I ever would have associated with, with being, like, a great thespian. He was just so funny in Monty Python, especially funny in all the movies, doing that lispy thing that he did in uh, Life of Brian, uh, the, the stuttering in, uh, uh, in Fish Called Wanda. I mean, this is what he does. He's just a funny guy, and he makes you laugh. And you wouldn't expect Michael Palin to at some point sort of turn hardcore dramatic thespian, but that is exactly what he does in Remember Me, uh, co-starring Mark Addy, who is just fantastic in this. Whatever happened to Mark Addy, remember? He was yeah. Fred Flintstone for a minute. I know. What happened to that guy? Well, you know, he probably went back to England and his Yeah, uh, no, he did. Stuff. He did. I mean, but he had his moment after uh, Full Monty, and then he was Fred Flintstone in the second Flintstones movie, and now he's, now he's back in England just being a good actor again. Um, but uh, anyway, Michael Palin here is just absolutely wonderful. Um, plays a Yorkshireman who is, uh, how do we put this? He is, he is, uh, he is in the twilight of his life. And, um, in addition to that, there is a very unsettling mystery that unravels around his life. And, uh, it is, um, it gets a little bit cool and supernatural and, uh, it gets very mysterious, but it's all... It all kind of ties together in, in, in the most unbelievably unexpected way. So, you know, Michael Palin takes you on a journey, and, and an amazing journey. I mean, the whole thing is about his performance, and it is really, really amazing. Um, if you're a Downton Abbey fan, you will know the name Ashley Pierce, who just directed the daylights out of Downton Abbey and does an amazing job here as well. So uh, Michael Palin in Remember Me, absolutely gripping. And, uh, I, I, you know, people, it's not a horror film. It's... It's a little, um, I almost don't even want to call it a supernatural thriller because it's what, it's kind of what people are portraying it as, but it's really a, it's a character study with supernatural elements and kind of a thriller narrative. I don't want to get, I don't want to give too much away, but it's really, really good. Michael Palin, amazing. Wait, uh, uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous, we have a DVD collection of uh, everything involving Sheena, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. 
We have two things. One is we have Sheena the Movie. Now, Sheena the Movie was kind of a big deal. At the t- it was directed mm-hmm. by John uh, Gillerman, who did um, Tower Inferno and King, King Kong. Kong. He was like a real director. Yeah. So he winds up uh, saddled with this uh, silly, loony little soap <laughs> opera piece of adventurous nothing. With uh, Tanya Roberts, who plays uh, Sheena, and Ted Wass, by the way, Ted right. Wass, hey, he he was yeah. uh, like Pink Panther. I know. He, he he was in the he was in the vastly underrated. Yeah. Oh God, book three. No, it was Oh, oh God yeah. three. Mm-hmm. No, it was Oh God, you devil. Oh dear. Ted Wass was in Oh God, you devil, which I liked. Okay. Anyway, all right. So Sheena, this was the Sheena film, which was going to be you know one of the big uh, comic adapt- adaptations, and you know this was uh, this might have even been Marvel. Yeah. Marvel may have even been um, publishing a Sheena comic at the time. But, um, yeah. So Anyway, so the thing is ridiculous. It's basically a bunch of PG-rated softcore porn, which, by the way, I have no problem with. But I'm saying it's it's not much of a movie. Um, but it's it's definitely – and it's definitely silly. It's not like, you know, like the Supergirl that's on the on TV. That's – you know, it's soap opera-y. And it's got a certain Ally McBealish quality to it. But it's still a serious show. It's, you know, you get into the yeah. drama and the characters. This is just ridiculous. Um, then you have the series – which uh, starred Jenilee Nolan from Baywatch as Ashina, and this thing just limped to a finish after just a handful of episodes. Um, but if you're a super duper Sheena lover, and I wish I was in real life, but that didn't happen, never that lucky. You do have Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, TV series and movie collection, and there's also, by the way, which is probably the coolest thing in the whole damn collection. There was a uh, a series in the '50s based on Sheena, that starred this very beautiful blonde named Irish McCullough. Hmm. And the DVD includes episodes from this 1950s series. That's the coolest part. Well, how um, about that? So how about that? So check that out. And also, if you want to see uh, the type of woman that Wade and I were uh, <laughs> drooling over <laughs> when we were prepubescents, check out Tanya Roberts in Sheena. Oh, Tanya Roberts. What happened to Tanya Roberts? She's old. <laughs> yeah, true. Don't want to think about that. Okay, so uh, a couple of HBO uh, things to finish off our TV segment. Big Little Lies was a novel uh, of with which I'm utterly unfamiliar, but they turned it into a really big, splashy HBO limited series. They just hired a lot of talent for this thing. Uh, you know, hired Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, Shailene Woodley to uh, act in it. Got uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, who directed Dallas Buyers Club and who directed Reese Witherspoon in Wild, to be the director. And they just and then just loaded up with a supporting cast that includes everybody from Zoe Kravitz and Laura Dern, Alexander Skarsgård. And uh, hey, while we're at it, sure, let's hire David Kelly to write it. Oh my gosh, this is this has a pedigree that movies would yearn for. Um, it, it, and Actually, yet, it has a pedigree movies used to yearn for. Used now to yearn they yearn for. to do it on television. Yeah, true. Netflix so, and HBO. Uh, HBO just loaded this thing up with talent. And it is really good. It is really, really good. It, um, it, it's, it, it gets underneath the, uh, the crusty veneer of suburbia and the, uh, the, the, what appears to be the, the, the perfect life ideal in a really, really um, very interesting way. I will say this. This feels almost like if you were to take the Stepford Wives and uh, Valley of the Dolls and make them like something real and dramatic and really, really, really uh, take, a, take a really much more solid look at what the themes that those films kind of just barely explored, that becomes this. 
it is. Uh, it, they've called it. You know, like for example, there's a quote here on the uh, on the packaging: an irresistible social satire. I don't. I wouldn't even call this a satire. I, I'm I'm amazed at what people call satire these days. I wouldn't call this a satire. I, to me, this is this is just biting drama. It really. Uh, it's very drama? very good. Brahma? Yeah. Is that biting yeah, drama? Sure, Brahma? why not? But anyway, uh, Big Little Lies, I think, is really, really uh, very, very good. Great cast. Well done. Uh, everybody involved at, at pitch perfect, uh, top of their game. So, well done. Uh, Wade, there's a show on, uh, on um, Hibbo. That's what we call HBO around here. Nobody calls it that. Called Crashing. Now, <laughs> Crashing is a show from uh, Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes created this thing. Uh, it is his. He wrote it. And then he wound up pitching it to Judd Apatow, who took the ball and ran with it and got it to HBO. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's on, um, it is on uh, Blu-ray. And I got to tell you, it's an interesting show. He plays a, uh, uh, Holmes plays the title character of this comedian who decides to go to New York and pursue a career in stand-up after his wife, uh, you know, cheats on him. And of course, it's called Crashing because his wife cheats on him. He decides to leave home, go to New York. He's got nowhere to live. So he winds up just couch surfing. Uh, which is going to sound very familiar to me soon. Um, he winds up couch surfing uh, while pursuing his stand-up dreams. And uh, what I like about this show uh, and what I saw of it is that, A, it's got a bunch of comics playing themselves, including Sarah Silverman and T.J. Miller and uh, Artie Lang. But also, um, I like the fact that it's, it's not like a super sarcastic show. It's kind of a sweet show in its own way, and I kind of thought that was a nice little emotional beat to hit, especially nowadays when everything is so sardonic and sarcastic and, iron, and you know, with irony and blah, blah, blah. It's just nice to see a show that kind of sets itself apart by being charming and, uh, and kind of sweet. So I think it's a good thing. So um, this thing I certainly hope is coming back, although I don't really know, but um, I would definitely check out uh, Pete Holmes, in crashing, I mean, it's not as good as uh, Louis. I have to say, every episode of Louis I've ever seen, I've seen on a plane. That's interesting. I don't know why. Well, I, I don't have HBO, but um, I, I, have you seen Louis? Yeah. There's some really, there's, there's some, some episodes that stuff. are pretty good. I mean, yeah. really good. No, it, it's uneven, but when it's good, it's really good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. No, I hear you. I'm I'm down with that. So, if you were to take uh, Devil and Daniel Webster and mix it up a little bit with Fight Club and get kind of a cool millennial twist on it, you would get something like Union Furnace uh, from director Nicholas Bushman, who also co-wrote it. This is a Blu-ray from a new company called Metropole Pictures, and uh, it, uh, it stars Mike Dwyer and uh, Keith David, who we always love, and, and Katie Keene. And uh, I, you know what? This is a this is a good little interesting movie that uh, doesn't sacrifice too much to be commercial and doesn't sacrifice too much of its commerciality to actually be good. It uh, kind of splits the difference in a really clever way and uh, has a uh, making of uh, featurette and some behind the scenes stuff and interviews. And uh, it's a good little Blu-ray to come out from a new company. So I would recommend that Union Furnace. Check that out. And then uh, here's, here's an interesting thing, too, uh, also in Blu-ray, is Phoenix Forgotten. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo from uh, Fox, which also includes uh, Ultraviolet. And here's the, here's the deal with this. Phoenix Forgotten is a movie that I actually inter- uh, I reviewed on radio when it came out. And the whole thing here is it's, you know, it's, it's based on events from 1997, when there were all those lights that appeared over Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, then some kids disappear after being in the desert, and years later, uh, the sister of one of the kids tries to solve the, you know, what actually happened, and see, you know, was it a government cover-up? Was something else going on? Is it UFOs? Yada yada yada, all that stuff. So, I reviewed this movie 
for radio at the time. We got it on Blu-ray, and I looked at it, and I thought, I don't remember how that movie ends. I don't remember how they resolve that. I've completely forgotten this movie. Now, I see a lot of movies, okay? Very often, not kidding. When I'm on, when I'm on Film Week, because of this show and because of Film Week, there come times when Friday morning I'm looking at the rundown of the movies for Film Week, and I literally, I will stare at two or three titles of movies that I, have, that I saw three or four days earlier. I, I can't remember what they were. I can't remember. I look at it, I just, I, I don't even remember what that was about. I maybe have no sh- idea. Maybe you should either see less movies, so, <laughs> get alive. So this is, this is, I just stare at that and I just go, I don't even remember who's in that. I just, I'm just looking at a title. Did I actually see that? I, I marked it. Uh, did I see that? Really? Uh, so anyway, Phoenix Forgotten, I had that same reaction. I looked at it, I was like, I don't remember how this ends. And then I, and then I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's why I don't remember how it ends because it's not a great ending. Um, anyway, knock yourself out. So Wade, uh, Bruce Willis, uh, once again, uh, enjoying his wilderness years by doing a little uh, action comedy cop thing called Once Upon a Time in Venice. So bizarre. This has a good cast, though. John Goodman, who's uh, enjoying a really uh, revival. Boy, do I love seeing John Goodman now. You know, he was kind Isn't of... Right? Uh, he hasn't. He didn't do much for a while, then suddenly he's in everything. Yeah. He was in 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Yep. And now he's in Once Upon a Time in Venice. And he's in this along with Jason Momoa, who's playing Aquaman in the uh, the whatever films. I am so worried about Justice League. I got, I'll be honest. I'm really worried. I'm so worried. It would be awesome. I'm so worried. It doesn't look good. Oh, I, oh you, did you watch the four-minute uh, thing? Y- yeah, I, increasingly. It could be badass ways. It could be badass. Oh, man. Oh, my God. I'm just uh, – I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm having the same re- – and, and by the way – you know, Hero insisted on looking at it too because we're we're doing like daddy daughter things. She always wants to see stuff. So here's the thing. So so so, um, all she wants to see is Wonder Woman, and frankly, that's all I want to see. None it, of the rest is interesting. It's funny how it's turned now. Like the uh, first I, was Ben Affleck as Batman. Oh, what's gonna happen now? It's like who cares about him? I want to see uh, what's I, her name. When 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 it was Batman versus Superman. I just sat there. I'm twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, it's good Wonder Woman. Please just show up and save us from these two self-important, just dirge-dragging, you know, boring-ass guys. It's just really not interesting. Like, I do not care about Batman. Yay, Wonder Woman. Thank you for saving the day. You're so much more interesting. Wonder Woman, you know what made Wonder Woman so great as a movie, apart from the fact that it was about Wonder Woman? That it was not about Batman or Superman. So my fear is that I'm going to be watching the Justice League, and I'm, and I'm going to think, oh. Would you guys just all go away and just just make this a Wonder Woman movie again, please? And by That's the way, all I really want to see. And also, in that now they're not playing them up because they're not the A players in the film. But the Flash and Cyborg, like the guy who plays the Flash, he does not look very flashy to me. No, he's not. And that was the problem. That's why. That's why a lot of us wanted them to. Link to the TV. They're not universe. doing that. No, that's that, those are separate silos. And they and not they shouldn't. Happen. And they shouldn't be. They should be. You got the no. TV thing, and then no. you got the movie thing. TV Flash is going to wind up being better than the movie Flash. And that's fine for a fraction of the cost. That's for a fraction of the cost. They want to spend money on these Look, films because that's what justifies. What them. makes the Flash work on TV is that Grant Gustin is so charming and sweet. He would have been amazing. Do you know what? Imagine if they had taken that character from TV and plugged him into the big budget world 
of the new DC movies. It would be phenomenal. He would bring so much to it. Instead, they plugged in what's his face, who was in the Ezra uh, Miller. Ezra Miller, you know, who played the psycho kid in, uh, I, I, in something about Kevin. Holy cow! I cannot look at him without picturing somebody who's going to shoot arrows in people's heads. That's all I see when I see him. He's not. Maybe a, that's good though. No, it's the not. The Flash good. is a psychopath. Not good, not good. Ezra Miller's a very good actor, but he's not that actor. He's not the guy I want to see in a superhero movie. He just isn't. He just isn't. Well, you'll have to see the movie and find out. Because don't yeah, forget, before Wonder Woman came out, we thought uh, we, we pegged it at like an opening weekend of $65 million or something that was like not great for that kind of a film. Yeah, Then well. it turns out to be a phenomenon. Anyway, uh, Hickok, 4K Ultra HD. Why? So this is a Cinedime release. Cinedime isn't, isn't releasing a lot of stuff again these days. Uh, this is the story of Wild Bill Hickok, uh, in this case played by Luke Hemsworth, who is trying his damnedest to not become completely typecast as Thor. And uh, I'm not sure he's doing a great job of it, which doesn't say much, which you know says more about the power of Thor than, than his lack of skills as an actor, because he's a great actor. You know, in, in uh, the Ron Howard film, he was fantastic. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, so the story of Wild Bill Hickok is a great story. Is this a great movie? No, not particularly. Uh, it's a nice try, but uh, it just doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't quite work. Um, uh, Chris Christopherson's in here as well, so is Trace Adkins. They're a clearly aiming for the, uh, the country music television crowd to sustain this. It's an interesting movie to release on uh, 4K Ultra HD, uh, it, it, it's a it's a perfectly fine 4K transfer. I I think they're they're shooting for the fact that there isn't a lot of 4K product out there, so people who are looking for it will just snatch this up anyway. Well, and, you know what? And they, that's kind of a gamble. Well, they've made this problem. They, they've made, they've they've made this mistake before. You know, when all these new formats come out, they always wind up just releasing a bunch of stuff just to get stuff yeah. on the on the store shelves. But yeah. why not just release the best you got? They you should. know, start raising some hype. Oh my God, that's on 4K. I gotta right. see that now. Right. You know, Lawrence of Arabia's on 4K. Oh my God, I gotta check that out. Hickox on 4K. Who cares? Yeah. You know, know. they they made that mistake with Blu-ray. I agree. Uh, wait, there's a movie called Chuck, and I recommend this movie because this movie, which stars uh, Leah Schreiber, uh, this is the true story of the uh, man who inspired the film Rocky. Rocky was inspired by a true film. This guy named Chuck Wepner. I did not know that. Chuck Wepner, uh, he uh, wound up becoming a real... He, he, he wound up fighting Muhammad Ali. Oh, my goodness, really? Yeah. I did not know that. I mean, you know, he got his ass kicked. But what are you going to say? He, he fought Muhammad Ali in the ring. And the fact that this guy from nowhere, from Bayonne, New Jersey, wound up getting a shot at the title, wound up uh, inspiring Stallone to create Rocky. Liev Schreiber from Ray Donovan plays, um, plays Wepner. And you know what? It, the thing with Wepner and the reason why his story is worth telling is that, you know, he's a becomes a boxer, has a little bit of success, but then you got divorce and cocaine and prison and is a real he goes through some really tough times and winds up of course being redeemed a little bit. So there's definitely an arc to the story that's worth it. And Liev Schreiber, who rarely gets to uh flex his uh, acting muscles on the big screen, especially in a lead role, um, does very well. So I would definitely, uh, I would definitely check out this uh, this little underdog, you know, just a just a just a lug from the streets kind of story, especially if you love Rocky. All right, because Rocky is based on a true story, which a lot of people don't realize. All righty, and so then check uh, out Chuck. Check out Chuck. 
And then a couple to finish off the new movie uh, collection. How to Be a Latin Lover kind of got a little bit of uh, attention when it was in theatrical release a couple months ago. Uh, I think this is really kind of silly and cheesy. This is a little bit like Ladies' Man crossed with Crocodile Dundee, a little bit kind of more Ladies' Man than Crocodile Dundee. Uh, Eugenio Derbez, who is kind of, a, as I understand it, a, a telenovela star, um, takes a shot at English language uh, stardom here uh, with an all-star cast in a movie that's about a guy who's he's, you know, he's like a, he's sort of a gigolo. He's a kept man. Doesn't really want to have to work. Just wants to find the uh, the sugar mama to give him uh, a luxurious life, and and he just he's always looking for a rich rich widow to marry. That kind of a deal, and. Uh, he uh, he loses you know the one he's booted out by the one so he moves in with his sister Salma Hayek and tries to use her son her ten year old son as uh, as widow bait right so uh, yeah it's kind of funny it's sort of an obvious thing it's an obvious gag and they throw a lot of, you know if you don't know who he is who Eugenio Derbez is well then we're gonna throw in uh, you know Rob Lowe and Kristen Bell for all the white people who who might you know. Need 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 a, a smiling generic face to uh, to feel comfortable in a movie like this. I, you know, it's it's dumb and it's corny and it's campy. It's not offensive. Uh, it's not terrible. Uh, it's just it's just silly. It's just one of those movies. And then uh, from the uh, you know Grindstone, we talked about this last week. They uh, they they occasionally will do uh, family oriented stuff as opposed to uh, Steven Seagal murder movies. And uh, their uh, Lionsgate deal has produced another absolutely, utterly ridiculous movie called Treasure Hounds, uh, with Norm Macdonald doing a voice. I love Norm Macdonald. Oh dear, he's so funny. Yeah, he's do. the he's the dog. He's the talking dog in this. Uh, it's okay. I mean, you know, I didn't hate this like I hate most talking pet movies and most dog and cat movies, but it, it really doesn't. Doesn't doesn't do anything for you. It, just, it gets old very very fast. But whatever, you know, it's a it's a family movie. It's got dogs and cats. It gets the family approved seal, which is all Grindstone ever wants, and that means that somebody somewhere will look at it and think, hey, this is safer than uh, pornography. Wait, a couple criterions yes. for you now. We got yep. um, we got Hopscotch. Now Hopscotch is a very nice comedy from 1980. This is with uh, the great comic team of Walter Matthau and Glenda Jackson, and this, the thing about this film is that, you know, it's a globe-trotting spy thrillerish thing, but it's really just a nice, civilized spy thriller. Yeah. You know, and, and so much of the fun of it is just hearing Walter Matthau, who's one of my all-time favorites, the way he just chews on the dialogue, finds different ways to, to, to say these lines. I just think he's so great. And in the film, he plays the CIA agent who, you know, he's just, he's had it, he's over it. He wants to write a tell-all, he wants to write the tell-all story exposing all the major secrets of all the big spy agencies, mm -hmm. which, of course, does not sit very well yeah. with all these major spy agencies. So then he winds up, uh, he winds up with a, uh, an old love in Austria, Glenda Jackson, who, of course, you know, has famously retired from acting many years ago to become a politician in Britain. But you realize how great she was at the time. In she the was amazing. Seventies and early eighties. No, there was there was a whole class of actresses in the seventies who just were beyond compare, and it was uh, Diane Keaton and Marsha Mason and Glenda Jackson. I mean, it was a, it was a it was an amazing class of actresses in that period. And I don't know what what happened, but I I thought that would continue into the eighties, and then we went into uh, action star hell. It's it's a cool little you know it's a cool little shaggy dog kind of a yeah. thriller 
got a great cast. Herbert Lom is in it. Sam Waterston's in it. Ned Beatty's in it. Uh, Ronald Neem directed it, of course, yeah. from Poseidon Adventure. Yep. Um, and so Fantastic. I would highly recommend Hopscotch. It's just a nice, cool thriller. I'm Facebook Not friend. James Bond. I'm Facebook friends with uh, Walter Matthau's son, by the way. Charlie Matthau. Yep. It's a good guy. Good dude. Good dude. I met him. He should direct I, more movies. I met him a couple times. He's a good director. Many years ago when he yeah. was trying to do documentaries and he yeah. was trying to break in. I, I met him on later. Yeah, he's a good director. He is. I, 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 I don't know why he doesn't uh, get more work. He's a, he's a really good director. He should be, he should be getting regular, regular gigs. He's better than most people out there. Because the moment he says he knows you and he's met you before, yeah. uh, he, he, he doesn't Black mark, work. right? Yeah. That's it. Blacklisted. Um, like they all are. There's, there's another criterion out. It's, um, let me tell you something. Now, Wade Major, yes. he seems to have uh, a, a prediction. Yes. Now, the prediction involves... Um, this, is, this is a legendary uh, television production, by the way, you know. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. The meantime was uh, we're talking about meantime. Mike Lee's uh, meantime is uh, is a is a legendary television production in the UK, and uh, that's why it's kind of uh, rather remarkable that Criterion is uh, putting it out. I didn't. Ex- I never expected Criterion to, to tap this. Well, I was about to say that Wade has a prediction. which said Gary yes. Oldman will win an Oscar this year. Yes. Now Gary Oldman now Oscar this year for playing a Winston Churchill. Yes. Um, although, although. Uh, um, I heard from somebody, I won't say who, that it was boring. Oh, really? Yeah, I heard wow. that from somebody. I don't necessarily trust that. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna take that with a grain of salt. But uh, I did hear that. So, well, come on, Listen. Gary Oldman. Look, everybody got a sense of, of who Gary Oldman was gonna be yeah. based on the fact that he played a, a psychotic skinhead. Yes. In meantime, yeah. So the movie, I mean, it's. it's 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 bleak, but it's powerful. It's this kind of kitchen sink drama kind of yeah. a thing, TV movie. It's about these two unemployed, you know, siblings, and they're living in a council flat in London, and then they're 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 unemployed. Their parents are unemployed, um, and so they wind up um, they wind up befriending you know Tim Roth. And Tim Roth looks so young in this thing. Oh my God, they all look so. Young. This is 1984. Yeah, this they, is they like were all 34 years ago. It launched, almost. it launched all of them. Ugh. Anyway, so um, this is really good stuff. I mean, this is Mike Lee. But, you know, it's funny, like, Mike Lee, he's rarely been... Mike Lee is like an issue director. Mm-hmm. We all love Mike Lee. But let's face it, he barely deals in, like, blistering skinhead characters no, who are, like, half psychotic. Yeah. You know, these are really o- not over the top in terms of, you know, they, they work for, the, they, they work for yeah. the film. They're very good. But Mike Lee is not that kind of a director. He yeah. doesn't deal in those sorts of characters. But here he does, and it works yeah. great. No, I agree. I agree. It's amazing. It's uh, it is, uh, for people I know who were around at the time and who saw this when it first aired, uh, said it was uh, it just it changed the country. It was just one of the well. Most this is legendary. very this is very Thatcher. This is this is Thatcher's America. Yeah. Thatcher's yeah. America. This is Thatcher's Great Britain. Yeah, it has a lot a lot to say about that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a couple good um, uh, a couple good extras on this, but uh, definitely check out the film itself. That's the important thing here. Meantime with Mike Lee. Uh, Lincoln Lawyer, Matthew McConaughey, when he was first starting to try to be a little bit uh, turned from all the, the wacky comedies. And uh, this is on 4K Ultra HD. I don't know why. I think that's a, it's a, just a completely bizarre choice. Uh, Lionsgate has a huge library of films that would make more sense to put out there. But again, what we were just saying, you know, this is, uh, let's just put it out there in hopes that the, the, the thin pickings, the slim selection, 
uh, of things available in 4K will just prompt people who, who are just hungry for anything. Yeah, look, it's a movie. It's got Matthew McConaughey. Let's just get it. Like, they'd, all they need to see is the 4K on the box, and they, they grab it. Um, Lincoln Lawyer is actually not a bad film. It's a pretty good film in many respects. Uh, it's, it's not as Grisham-y as, uh, as you would sort of expect, given you know, what McConaughey had done previously. And uh, you know, Brad Furman really directs it quite solidly, and it's got a good, solid supporting cast. Uh, it just kind of misses it, you know. He's the the idea of this guy that drives around a Lincoln Town car, and he's a he's a you know fast wheeling and dealing uh, defense attorney, and uh, you know defends a, a guy who you know shouldn't be defended, and that winds up getting him caught in a in a kind of a web of uh, crime and jeopardy. I mean, there's an interesting there's interesting angles to it. It just kind of misses a little bit. It uh, it should be better. And I don't really know what else to say. It just it should be better. It's got featurettes and a few other things on it. Um, all right. So, Mark, I'm gonna. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff from. Uh, you want you want to do those or, or one of those? And I'll uh, do whatever me, you like. Yeah. Let me let me let me plow through the uh, the Shout Factory stuff. We got a, a whole batch of great classic old stuff from Shout Factory this week, and uh, they they deserve to get the slate approach on this. Um, they've really gone to town. The uh, there are two here that are just. Amazing. The first one is the 20th anniversary uh, steel, what do they call it, steel case? Steel, Steelbook. Steelbook, that's it. 20th anniversary steelbook version of Fargo. Fargo's been out on, on Blu-ray at least two or three times. And uh, I, I hate telling people double dip yet again, but you gotta. You gotta. This is great. This is terrific. The movie is great. The TV show adapted from it is great. Uh, it's just uh, vintage American classic cinema it it's what perhaps the best thing that the Coen brothers have ever done, at least from a, a standpoint of being universally critically acclaimed, and uh, it's just it's a terrific movie and it ages really really well. Um, is that your partner in the wood chipper? Come on, it's most it's, great. Quo- it's quotable beyond all belief. Deacons shot the daylights out of this, and here's what you get: audio commentary with Roger Deacons, uh, a featurette on Minnesota. An interview with the Coen brothers and Francis McDormand. Uh, the article from American Cinematographer dealing with what Deacons shot. The original trailer and TV spot in a still gallery. And uh, may not sound like a lot, but you know what? The movie is all you need. It's just terrific. And the steel book is really, really, really nice. Uh, then uh, the other big release from Shot Factory this week. This is so overdue. I am so thrilled that they've released this. The Shot Select line now has given us the complete... Billy Jack collection. That's right, all four Billy Jack movies. This is this is. I'm kidding you not. <laughs> this has terrible. been this has been out of print on DVD for a long time. And well, uh, well, the, the the first one was kind of a zeitgeist film, but the rest of them, come on. Okay, born first of all, born losers. Let let's be honest. Tom Laughlin was a maverick. He was. By the way, speaking of maverick, doesn't 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 Tom Laughlin look exactly like John McCain? I don't know. Does he? Come on, dude. Seriously, look. Tom Laughlin and John McCain could be twins. I was just thinking of that. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm gonna be a get Tom Laughlin. Yeah, right. Uh, who are Come you? on, Billy Jack. It's Look crazy. at Shout Select. Good job on them. Totally. So here's the thing: Tom Laughlin, total maverick, right? He ran for president a bunch of times. He's a complete, you know, kind of a little bit of a crazy renegade. Wouldn't work within the Hollywood system. Went out to do his own movies. Billy Jack's a whole thing. Inspired by Bong Su Han and Hapkido. Uh, you know that's that's a bit of a legendary story as well. You know that it was in Pacific Palisades. 
He saw Bang Su Han doing a whole hapkido demonstration, and that's what inspired Billy Jack. What? Yeah. Love that story. So um, the deal with Billy Jack is these movies are terrible. I will, I will not tell you that these are good movies. They're terrible. Born Losers, the actress in Born Losers, pull up her name right now, the blonde actress in Born Losers. because I can never, I can never remember her name. Uh, she, it is, it's, it's almost beyond belief how bad she is. It, it defies imagination what a terrible actress she is. There are lines that she delivers in that movie where you think, I, it, like a five-year-old could have directed her to deliver that line better. Elizabeth James. Elizabeth James. Oh, my gosh. Is that her name? It's, is that who you're talking about? It uh, must be. The, she's, the, she's second build on IMDb. Yeah, the, the blonde-haired blonde. It is unbelievable. There are lines that you cannot screw up that, that you would be able to get if you just did like, like five takes and do it differently every single time. At least one of them would be better than what, what winds up on, on film in this movie. She is so horrible. She is so catastrophically bad in Born Losers. It defies comprehension. It makes the movie so wonderful. It is so worth seeing just for her line readings. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I can't. She's amazing. I'm sure she's a she miracle. would love hearing you say that. She's an absolute miracle. She's so bad. <laughs> she's astonishing. Uh, it's like The Room. You know, oh, and and room. and I'm you know, at a certain point, it's it's just you have to just laugh. Uh, but my favorite of these films is actually the second one, Billy Jack. Uh, I enjoy Billy Jack for all kinds of just dumb reasons. Um, it's also bad, but it's it's the best of the four for sure. The Trial of Billy Jack and Billy Jack Goes to Washington were the, uh, the last two, which are largely forgettable. But if you are a completist and you want the complete Tom Laughlin experience you got to get this on blu-ray the complete tom laughlin experience there is such a thing i have no idea uh here's what else shots given us they're giving us collector's edition of species remember species yeah natasha henster she was a hottie she was like uh, wow i want to see her naked turning into an alien (laughs) see that was the whole appeal of this thing it was a b movie just it was a b movie the whole idea of it was what if we remade alien except through most of the movie the alien was a really hot naked woman Yep. Come on. And they made a sequel. And they made a sequel. I mean, it's kind of a brilliant idea. Uh, originally based on a Dark Horse comic, directed of all pe- by, of all people, Roger Donaldson, who, of course, would go on to do things like Cocktail. And no Way Out. And No Way Out. Uh, but, yeah, 1995, uh, Species was, was a bit of a thing. A lot of extras on this. Uh, interviews with Roger Donaldson and Andre Bartkowiak, the cinematographer, and... Um, just uh, you know, f- uh, really taken from a 4K master audio commentary with uh, Natasha Henstridge and Michael Madsen and Roger Donaldson. Another audio commentary with Roger Donaldson and uh, a lot of his effects people, including Richard Edland. Uh, I mean, it's just this thing's loaded up. It is. It is still really fun to watch, and I adore Natasha Henstridge. I really do. Also, the Paul Nashi collection. Paul Nashi, originally born Jacinto Molina Alvarez in Spain. He was kind of the, uh, they, they, they call him the Spanish Lon Chaney, but he was basically a horror film fixture. Uh, the five films here, Horror, horror Rise from the Tomb, Human Beasts, Night of the Werewolf, Vengeance of the Zombies, and Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, all kind of uh, cult, cult favorites. And, uh, you know, why not? Sure, if you, you know, they, they, they all had, they all come from that, that particular moment in time when uh, international horror and international B-movies had, a, had kind of a, a glowing moment. So, Paul Nashi collection. Also on the horror end of things, Slither collector's edition. Slither came uh, at that, that moment in time when everything was, uh, 
everything was all creaturey. Um, you know, this lasted from about the mid '90s to about uh, 10, 15 years ago, and uh, this is fine. It's uh, you know, the, the what's noteworthy about Slither is it was written and directed by a man who is now so far beyond this kind of movie, it doesn't even warrant attention. James Gunn, ladies and gentlemen, now doing Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Wow. Yeah, so Slither was James Gunn really uh, kicking it uh, into overdrive uh, back in the day. So, you know, 2005, I think this was. And then as long as we're on the, uh, on the, uh, the bandwagon for the uh, Shot Factory horror stuff, we also have Teen Wolf... And Teen Wolf 2, Collector's Editions. The original Teen Wolf, this is all before the TV show, of course, was created. The original Teen Wolf was a Rod Daniel-directed throwback to I Was a Teenage Werewolf and all those uh, Cormany things from the uh, 1950s and 60s with Michael J. Fox kind of bringing his, uh, his uh, you know, uh, back-to-the-future persona to uh, an otherwise really stupid and silly movie and somehow making it fun. Uh, it, uh, it, it's got its moments. Not a terribly good movie, but it certainly has a cult following. Has an, it has a, a really interesting documentary on it about the, um, how the film all came together, which is actually more interesting than the movie. And then uh, Teen Wolf 2, you know, obviously a completely different thing. Uh, Jason Bateman stepped into the, the, the part here, uh, does a decent enough job, kind of, you know, paying his dues here. Uh, a whole different team. Christopher Leitch is the, uh, is the director. Um, they really tried to extend this thing in a, in, a, in a way that it didn't need to, but it still has kind of a strange following, and, of course, both of these films together did fuel a television series. Couple things for you, Wade. We have War, the Warlock collection now. If you don't know Warlock, first of all, um, uh, that's a good thing. We're about to ruin that for you by telling you about Warlock. This was a uh, few films. We're talking late '80s, early '90s. Warlock was um, directed by Steve Miner, who is a oddly enough minor director. Did a couple of Friday the Thirteenth. Did a bunch of garbage. Did one uh, Mel Gibson film for some reason. And uh, but really, Warlock is one of his. More famous creations, I guess. Me. Uh, this is about a. Um, it's about a 17th century uh, warlock. Yeah. Comes to the present. Julian Sands. And he's uh, pursued by a witch hunter. So this is uh, Julian Sands. Did yeah. it's written by David Tui, who I like actually. He did. He does the. Um, was it David Tui did the uh, the 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 Vin Diesel uh, space movies. Yeah. 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 The uh, yeah. Uh, Riddick. Yeah. yeah. Riddick. Which, by the way, I like the Riddick films. I admit it. I like after, the Riddick after films. After Dark. I like those films. Yeah. I admit it. Yeah. Anyway, Warlock. It's 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 very low budget. It's very low budget. It's really it's it's a little ridiculous. Um, the only thing I will say about it is that this is that the score for the first is by Jerry Goldsmith. So you know you're getting some, uh, that's way above their pay grade to have yeah. Warlock be scored by Jerry Goldsmith. But um, otherwise, this thing is just really low budget. There's some imagination in there, but no wit or, or particular. It's just a really B-movie, lame, low budget, special effect kind of thing. That was followed by two even worse sequels, Warlock the Armageddon and Warlock 3, The End of Innocence. But um, I would just uh, pass on the whole thing totally. The real find this week, for those of us of a certain era, is the uh, Indiana Jones ripoff King Solomon's Mines with Richard Chamberlain. Now, I'm saying, I'm saying that it's a Indiana Jones ripoff because it is one, because that's what the canon group does. Well, what was interesting was this was the original King Solomon's Mines was one of those old serials that Indiana Jones riffed on. This is less a remake of its namesake than of the movie that was paying homage to its namesake. So it's ripping off an homage to a film that it pretends to be based on, if that what? makes sense. 
And there are some, uh, there are some hilarious stories about Sharon Stone and what a horrible, horrible person she was on the <laughs> shoot. You should look that up. Look up King Solomon's Minds, Sharon Stone, and something along the lines of a horrible person, <laughs> and you'll read some great stories. But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so this was Richard Chamberlain, who was sort of the you know poor man's Harrison Ford, uh, the TV version, the TV movie version of Harrison Ford doing King Solomon's Minds. This, the, the film has some cult fascination. Some people kind of like yeah. it, but uh, it's very low budget and very lame. But again, it was kind of of its time. It's very canony. Which means it's like a, it looks like a cheap knockoff, yeah. um, but there you go, King Solomon's Mines. There are certain people in our audience who are very glad this is out on Blu-ray. Uh, so a bunch of stuff from Kino as well. Uh, here is our little uh, Kino collection, which starts off with the rather extraordinary "Who's Crazy." Um, "Who's Crazy" is a 1966 counterculture kind of undergroundy uh, indie film that actually was presumed to have completely disappeared until Thomas White, who directed it, uh, found a copy in his garage. <laughs> and now the movie is back. Uh, it's uh, basically about a, uh, about a bunch of, you know, loony bin asylum inmates uh, who wind up in a, in a farm in Belgium, and um, it... Uh, everything kind of becomes a very weird animal housey kind of uh, strange courtroom drama allegory. It's very, it's, it's pretty bizarre. It's pretty insane. It's very experimental. It is interesting, really, not because it's terribly entertaining, but because you just look at this and you just think, really, how did this, how did this even happen? How did this come together? It's sort of, uh, it's sort of madness personified in a movie. So. Uh, Congratulations to Kino for finding it and uh, and bringing it out to the fore. Um, the Devil's Brigade, pretty pretty good solid uh, war movie. David Wolper produced from uh, 1968, the kind of the tail end of the heyday of uh, World War II movies. Uh, you know, we've gotten War Eagles, Dare, and the Dirty Dozen, and all that stuff was really kind of in the mix. And uh, this is right up there. This is right up there. It's not as good as the rest of them, but Andrew V. McLaughlin, who was a solid director of Studio Fair, does a, a great job with an all-star cast that includes uh, William Holden and Vince Edwards and Cliff Robertson and, uh, you know, Carol O'Connor, uh, Paul Horning, Claude Akins. It's a good bunch of macho guys in here. So um, great Alex North score. Uh, good solid film, Devil's Brigade. I, I, I recommend it. Also, The Amazing Duel in the Sun, which is a movie I just absolutely adore. This is one of David O. Selznick's very best from 1946. He was riding high, of course, after having won back-to-back uh, -back Oscars in 39 and 40 for Gone with the Wind and Rebecca. And Duel in the Sun is a, uh, takes all of that Selznick juice and pours it into a Western. And uh, it's a great Western. It's a legendary Western. Jennifer Jones, Gregory Peck, Joseph Cotton, Lionel Barrymore... Uh, Lillian Gish, Walter Houston. It's just a, this is a really terrific movie. Again, an amazing score here, Dmitry Tiomkin, and uh, directed by King Vidor, who finally actually gets a credit on a Selznick movie. Uh, kind of, you know, Vidor is the guy who directed pieces of everything in the, in the 1930s and early 40s and never got any credit for it. And then uh, two more from, uh, from, the, uh, from Kino. Uh, both Elvis movies. Couple of Elvis movies on Blu-ray: Clambake and Frankie and Johnny. Uh, Frankie and Johnny is the weaker one here. Uh, it's it's Frankie and Johnny is one of the less enthralling Elvis Presley musicals, it, partly because the whole riverboat backdrop is a little bit odd. It's not where you it, he, Elvis doesn't really plug into it very well. 
Um, so that's a bit of a, a peculiar one, but it, you know, for Elvis completists, it's out there. But clam bake, clam bake is awesome. Clam bake is vintage, vintage Elvis. It is so gaudy. It is a heap of fun. Uh, it's great from beginning to end. Elvis always had a different girl, kind of like his version of the Bond girl in every movie. And Shelley Fabares is uh, just to die for here. Absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, great tunes, great Elvis. Everything is wonderful. And uh, there's even an audio commentary here from Videodrome's Gideon Kennedy, Matt Owensby, and John Robinson, uh, which is a, 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 these are the guys, who, you know, it's a legendary video store in Atlanta, and these guys have so much fun on the commentary, you won't believe it. So that is our collection of Kino titles. Good, good week for, for Kino stuff. Right? So wait, I, I finally yeah. caught up with Silence, the Scorsese film, which I hadn't oh, seen. you hadn't seen it? No. Really? No. It's three hours, and everyone hated it, so why would I see it? <laughs> okay. I rented it on Netflix. What'd you think? I uh, got the job done eventually. <laughs> there's, your, there, there's your pull quote. Got the jo- gets the job done eventually. I feel that's, like that. That's, I feel, that's great. Christopher Good. Lee as, uh, as uh, Christopher Lee in two Fu Manchu films. Now, we don't have to tell you... The potential issues involved with Christopher Lee <laughs> playing uh, Fu Manchu. Playing Fu Manchu, yeah. but uh, they are far less, however, than Max von Sydow playing Ming the Merciless, right? That's true. Or yeah. Charlton Heston in uh, Touch of Evil. Yeah. Or or Marlon Brando in uh, in uh, the thing. I forgot yeah. what, uh, ge- uh, yeah. the Geisha thing. Whatever it's yeah. called. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, the Blood of Fu Manchu and the Castle of Fu Manchu, uh, both directed by Jess Franco, both from Blue Underground in one double feature Blu-ray. I, I, I don't know if they put these both on two Blu-rays as if this is like the, uh, if, if you're having like a culturally insensitive night at home, maybe like a, <laughs> some sort of a dinner party, <laughs> you would go for these. Uh. The thing is that they're not terrible movies. <laughs> they just have a problem that, it wasn't a problem at the time, but I, you know. They're terrible movies. Come on. Oh, come on. But they're good, terrible. They're good, terrible. They're good, terrible. How dare you? Yeah. They're good, terrible. They're 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 cults. They're cult classics for a reason. And exactly, uh, you know, Christopher Lee just he brings it, man. He brings it. Just Franco, come on. It's just Franco. Everything about this is just like it's dripping Velveeta cheese. It's a lot of fun. Um, Deathline is another older film. This is from Blue Underground. Um, this is with uh, also with Christopher Lee and Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance plays a uh, he's a Scotland Yard inspector and he's he's uh, he's investigating the death of this. Uh, uh, this politician and this you know, beautiful young woman. Um, and so it turns out that this is, of course, uh, it turns out that, that he makes this discovery about these 19th century tunnel workers who supposedly died in a cave-in. Turns out they didn't die in the cave-in. Oh, no. Oh, and Really? Gee. Oh. Anyway. That is so so scary to me. Well, it's a zombie thing, so it's uh, <laughs> this, is, this is like this is zombie before zombie became the coolest thing in the yeah. whole world. Um, Christopher Lee, Donald Pleasance, um, Blue Underground did a great job with this thing. I mean, there's a lot of extras on this thing. There's an audio mm-hmm. commentary with the with the director Gary Sherman. You know, there's interviews with Gary Sherman, Hyman. the EPs, huh? Sherman Hyman. There's a <laughs> hello, mother. <laughs> Hello, Fana. Here I am. That's, that's Alan Sherman. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Archive Collection keeps just, man, they just keep kicking it up a notch with the, uh, the archival Blu-rays. Uh, they have just, I, I, it's, it's just so rewarding to see the stuff that comes out now from Blu-ray from uh, Warner Archive. Um, Where the Boys Are is such a fantastic 
moment in time. This movie just is so, it just so represents a milieu, a style, a snapshot. I mean, there are certain movies that just, you look at it and you go, that was then. That was then. It could never be another time. It just perfectly captures a moment. And uh, where the boys are is, you know, spring break today is not what it was once upon a time. There was a, there was a sweetness and an innocence and yet a kind of a sweetly innocent rebelliousness from uh, a, a very different generation. And uh, where the boys are is literally that moment in 1960 when the 50s were turning into the 60s. And uh, it's just it's such, such, a, such a perfect snapshot of a point in time. I, I, I just love this movie. I love watching it. It's great. Uh, great cast of people who would go on to bigger and better things, including uh, Yvette Minmieux, Paul Apprentice, George Hamilton in particular, Connie Francis, uh, who of course you know sings the song that we all know so well. And uh, this this was a great MGM film at the time that now uh, is in the Warner Library. And uh, you know who I you know who I love most in this movie? Yeah, stop singing. You know who I love most in this movie? that Yvette Mimieux was also in The Black Hole? Well, yes, and also in The Time Machine, but I also love the fact that Frank Gorshin is in this movie. Cannot get enough of Frank Gorshin. My favorite Frank Gorshin stuff, my favorite Frank Gorshin stuff, not necessarily him playing the Riddler on Batman. My favorite Frank Gorshin stuff was a, uh, a bit that he did on Charlie's Angels. He was a guest star on Charlie's Angels. Loved it. It was great. And then Warner Archive also gives us a couple of John Wayne movies. A couple of John Wayne classics. John Wayne and Lauren Bacall in Blood Alley. Bet you didn't know that John Wayne ever co-starred with Lauren Bacall, did you? I did not. You didn't know that, did you? No, of course you didn't. Uh, Terrific action film. Really nicely done by William Wellman, who, of course, did uh, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. (coughs) Excuse me. Many, many years earlier. The Oscar winner. This is from 1955. Uh, Really a fantastic early Cinemascope uh, John Wayne epic. Um, all set, you know, around the, uh, the, the issue of, uh, you know, Chinese refugees from the, uh, from the Chinese, from, you know, the Chinese uh, Civil War. And it's, uh, it, it's just, it's a really, really sharp film. It dates a little bit in terms of its, you know, uh, political and social content. But don't worry about it. It's a, it's a sharp film, beautifully made, and uh, one of Wayne's actually better performances. And then uh, equally compelling is John Wayne and Lana Turner. Another uh, leading lady you probably never knew that John Wayne uh, co-starred with in The Sea Chase. And, uh, you know, we've had, uh, there are, of course, lots of thrilling at-sea adventure movies. Um, This is a World War II-era thing, you know, a little espionage, a lot of uh, high-sea adventure and whatnot. But the most interesting thing about this is directed by John Farrow, whose daughter is... Mia Farrow. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for, uh, for jumping in there. Um, so anyway, great supporting cast here as well. And uh, really, a, you know, just another really fun John Wayne movie. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff there. So with that, this week, Mark, we are done. Do you have any, uh, do you have any parting gems? No, stop it. Don't sing. You, you and Connie Francis. Don't do that. So do you have any parting uh, words of wisdom, any parting shots, insults, uh, toasts? jokes no nothing no okay all right so uh please email us at gods at digigods.com send us your uh send us jokes for crying out loud uh voxbox email even just send us a joke we'll read your jokes on air seriously send us jokes we'll read jokes on air we we love jokes it'll 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 spruce the show up all right with that we are done we will see you next week